episode 17 of the Sustainably.ego podcast. My name is Jeff Hendry and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. On this episode, we chat about COP26 with Diana Sukailo, Vice President of the Cambridge University Social Impact and Sustainability Society. I also spoke with Michelle Owen, founder of Musicians Fighting Climate Change, about how musicians are making an impact in sustainability. Today's episode is sponsored by the 5th Annual Kingston Climate Change Symposium. Organized by the City of Kingston and Sustainable Kingston, this year's event features keynote speaker, renowned author Sheila Watt-Cloutier, meteorologist Johanna Wagstaff, and many others. Hosted by broadcaster Ali Hassan, this event is free to the public. It's sponsored by Queen's University, Sodexo Canada, and St. Lawrence College. To register, please visit www.sustainablekingston.com. As the timing of this episode lined up with COP26, the Glasgow Climate Change Conference, I wanted to reach out to Diana Sukailo. Diana is Vice President of the Cambridge University Social Impact and Sustainability Society, member of Rethink NGO and a co-founder of Rethink Advisory Group consultancy that helps companies lead the wave of sustainable innovations and guides businesses on circular economy and net zero transformations in Ukraine. This interview took place on Tuesday, November 2nd, and I reached Diana in Kiev, Ukraine. Here's my interview with Diana Sukailo. Diana Sukailo, thanks for doing this. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Diana, can you tell us a little bit about where you live right now and how climate change is impacting your community? Sure. Uh, So right now I live in Kiev, Ukraine. um, And I think geographically we are quite lucky at the moment because we haven't been too heavily exposed to the effects of climate change. But it is only for now. Uh, We already see increased number of wildfires and floods. Um, This summer, for example, we also recorded highest temperature in 100 years. And um, in the capital city, uh, we see that the climate is gradually becoming more mild or somewhat migrating southward. So this is something I was able to witness myself. Um, Winters have become milder and summers are far more warmer. Um, despite all that, unfortunately, there is no sense of urgency in the country um, regarding the threats of climate change, but we are really, really vulnerable. And it's a big threat because Ukraine is an agricultural country. Uh, so this may undermine our agricultural industry and affect the livelihoods of many, many people. So uh, we already see like prolonged droughts and unusually intense spring frosts, um, scarcity of rain that's affecting people. There is lack of conversation and policy making in the area, um, mm-hmm. a lack of pressure from people as well from the public. So that's a big problem, and I think uh, we will going to experience those risks and threats quite uh, uh, quite soon. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start talking about COP twenty six. Today is November second, so we're uh, a couple days in. Um, are you optimistic about COP twenty six, and if so, why? Well, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. <laughs> We've been waiting for this for like over a year and it was, it's been postponed. Um, so um, 
I'm trying to be optimistic because I think that um, through the course of pandemic, sort of um, globally, we have realized how interconnected and vulnerable we are and our world is and that we need the urgency and the action. So um, I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of leaders um, arriving and taking it seriously, a lot of um, bold commitments, but probably not enough. So I really want to see how it's going to unfold. Um, it looks from the surface, it looks to be successful, but we still like have a couple of no-shows like um, China, Russia and countries like that. So they are very significant emitters. So, um, and I think it's very important to have them in the conversation, but um um, we have the United States, uh, which is really a um, positive uh, sign, I think. So I'm going to watch it closely. But um, overall, I think um, I agree with what David Attenborough just mentioned at the conference, that we are the greatest problem solvers, right? So I'm staying hopeful that um, the important decisions will be made that will put us on the path uh, towards solving climate change problem this mm-hmm. conference. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Americans and and President Biden's in attendance, uh, or I'm not sure if he's there already, but he's, he's planning on attending. Um, and do you think there's is there wariness or skepticism related to their participation based on the fact that they pulled out of Paris and and their political situation is uh, well somewhat precarious? I mean, things could go in the other direction quite quickly, as we learned. Yes, of course, uh, there is a lot of skepticism, especially uh, from Americans and some of the friends I know, um, because at the moment they have rejoined the Paris Agreement and they have, um, uh, I think they have already arrived. Uh, I briefly saw that Joe Biden made a few comments already about that they are taking this seriously, but they had sort of prepared, well, they can kind of arrived empty handed as well, because there is nothing, no sign of any policy um, taken seriously in an environmental area. However, I think that um, his appointment of John Kerry was a, was a good sign, in my, in my view. Uh, he has shown a lot of commitment in his career towards the climate change. So um, although there is a lot of scepticism, I think we are in a much better place than we were, for example, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, there are several new initiatives being proposed at COP26. Um, I know yesterday, I believe there was an announcement about uh, a deforestation pledge. Um, what Of the new initiatives, pledges, what, what do you think will be the most impactful? The most impactful, I think, climate finance, probably. Um, they're trying to raise um, a lot of money. I think it's um, more than um, $100 billions, um, of dollars a year or something around that numbers. Um, and um, yeah, and the, the initiative to help developing countries and uh, to fund developing countries uh, also to uh, tackle climate change, to um, adapt uh, to the climate change that's happening already. That's something that might be um, quite crucial um, given that um, the developed countries, uh, well, frankly, was the problem. From a European perspective, um, what what pledge initiative or discussion topic at the conference do you think will get the greatest reaction? Will will it be the the finance piece? Well, I think so, yes, because 
for instance, the UK and quite a lot of European countries have started that conversation already and been driving that conversation. Uh, but I also expect that there will be a lot of discussion regarding the carbon markets. That's been quite a long-standing area uh, that needs to be resolved. Um, so I, I think, I, I believe this is something that um, they would like to finalise the Paris rulebook and the carbon markets seems to be uh, the main area that hasn't been yet um, delivered. So, um, yeah, I think this will be the focus of the European discussion. However, the same uh, in the same way, I believe there will be a lot of um, uh, focus on the investment encouragement in renewables and acceleration uh, towards the uh, phasing out of the coal, um, things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Greta Thunberg was uh, uh, in the news saying, uh, I, I think she used the term blah, 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 or no more blah, blah, blah in uh, in the speech, in her speech, and um, some, somewhat dismissing the, the, the discussions that were happening inside the, the conference walls. And it, it, how do you feel about conferences like COP26? Are, are they still really important? Um, how important is it still to have the right people in the room um, physically and in one space talking about these things and making pledges? Well, I think um, when we look at the climate change problem, it is very important. First of all, from a very practical logistical perspective, let's say, uh, when we want to reach agreements with the leaders from all around the world, uh, we, nearly, we really need to bring them into the same time and space. It's quite impossible to do otherwise and kind of need them to be present and be together, look each other in the eyes and recognise the problem and take responsibility and find and commit to solutions. So although there will be, there might be a lot of um, talking, a lot of uh, delaying the action, I don't see we have any other choice, frankly speaking. We need human connection um, and it's much better on many levels than any other tools um, in my perspective. Uh, so besides um, in the process of negotiating something and reaching agreements, the whole process is very complicated and it requires the full presence. It requires people to uh, hear the voices of all the countries, not just the ones who are the loudest, let's say, but we need to include into the conversation the countries that are suffering the most as well. But they might not be the main actors in the problem. Um, another point is that the UN negotiation um, negotiations are consensus-based. So to reach the agreement will depend really on leaving no issue behind and making sure everybody's heard. So although I understand that the conferences are often not uh, something that we expect them to be, but in this case, and particularly when we struggle, the whole world struggles, I think this is the only way we can actually uh, focus our complete attention and uh, squeeze out something um, that will um, kind of bring us onto the path towards the brighter future. Mm -hmm. What are some under the radar developments that we might be talking about 20 years from now? Well, um, 
haven't been like watching um, particularly some particular companies, but I have been watching some technologies that um, are in the development um, already. Some of them developed, some of them are still um, they're, they're able to go because they're really expensive. For example, uh, green ga- greenhouse gas removal technologies like um, direct air capture, uh, which is simply pushing air through a system uh, where you capture the carbon dioxide and sequestrate it uh, so that you store it um, permanently. Um, I think it's, it's very expensive, but I think it's something that we um, can see developing, really developing in the future. That there is a number of marine-based technologies so that using oceans to remove greenhouse gases, uh, but at the same time, we're stocking oceans with um, the level of uh, fish uh, it had before. Again, it's it's quite a lot of exciting things happening. Um, and I believe that they have a lot of potential in the future, as well as carbon capture, utilization, storage technologies, where we um, capture emitted CO2, for instance, in steel and cement manufacture, and then we reuse the CO2 in manufacturing processes and uh, mineral mineralization. Um, I'm very excited to see those kind of technologies, how they were going to develop and how they're going to impact our lives because they have a lot of potential and there have been a lot of quite a lot of investment already in there. Great. Well, Diana Sukailo, thank you so much for doing this. And um, we look forward to, uh, to talking to you again, hopefully sometime. Thank you so much, Jeff. I also spoke with Michelle Owen. Michelle is the founder of Musicians Fighting Climate Change, an effort to unite bands and artists with efforts to help protect the environment and support organizations making an impact in the fight against climate change. Michelle is a singer-songwriter who's worked in the music industry for close to a decade as tour manager with Kingston's own The Glorious Sons and working with artists like Alan Frew, Sunrail, and Classified. She is also the founder of 745 Music, a multi-service music company specializing in artist strategy and development. Here's my interview with Michelle Owen. Michelle Owen, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. So can you describe Musicians Fighting Climate Change? What, what's it all about and what inspired you to start the organization? For sure. Uh, Musicians Fighting Climate Change is a company I founded about two years ago now. Uh, The idea first came to me when I was a tour manager for a band called the Glorious Sons, (laughs) somewhat well known in the city of Kingston. Um, And yeah, uh, fighting climate change is something I've always been passionate about. It's consumed my thoughts every day and I wanted to figure out a way I could combine my strengths in terms of my career to that point uh, with my passion for doing this and that's when I started brainstorming um, ideas for musicians for climate change what that could look like and two years later I'm still trying to uh, grow and build on those ideas but we've made some progress and I'm really proud of the company and what's to come in the future for sure. That's great. And, and what are the goals of the organization? What, what do you hope to achieve? Um, I mean, the main goal is to align artists with climate change-based charities, businesses, and initiatives, and to leverage their fan bases to educate people and create awareness around the changes that need to 
be made in terms of climate change and our planet. Um, I personally really think that there is a leadership that exists um, in that community that is uncomparable to any community in the world. And there's a bit of magic that happens when you're experiencing live music. And I do think that that is going to be a component in all of this in terms of fixing these problems in the future. Mm -hmm. And who's involved so far? It's just me. So I run the company and pretty much do everything. We've put on one event so far where I partnered with the Glorious Sons and we were able to align them with a company called uh, the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. They are a registered Canadian charity and together we were able to help save 10 acres of the Amazon Rainforest, which is really exciting. That was back in August for our first event. And we're working towards doing more things like that in the future. No, that's great. That that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful cause, and and a great first start. Michelle, when, if I can ask you to put your road manager hat on, what are the most carbon intensive aspects of touring? Uh, what's an, an avoidable uh, aspect of touring that you know it's just going to it's hard to eliminate? And then, what are some of the things that? you you end up you know shaking your head uh, in frustration about I would say the most carbon intensive thing would be the travel. There's a lot of travel, uh, whether it's flying on a plane, um, you can be flying upwards of three to four times a week, depending on what your tour schedule looks like. And in addition to that, uh, a tour bus, if you're using a tour bus can be extremely harsh on the environment, especially because there's a generator that will be running to provide power to everyone on board at all times. So I think that those are issues that still need to be tackled, but are unavoidable if you do want to tour, unfortunately. I think that there is lots of opportunity for this industry to combine technology that exists and take accountability for those um, for that, um, but it will take a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it's kind of up to the artists and their teams to be accountable and to understand that, look, hey, listen, we're lucky enough to do this for a living. How do we take responsibility like all companies are doing now in 2021 and will need to be doing in the future so that we can still provide our service, but be um, aware of the environment and the impact that we're having? But travel, I mean, is definitely number one. I think another impact the live industry can have um, on the environment is the use of plastic water bottles. That's something that would really get to me on the road. The number, um, and that's across the board with all the bands and um, acts that I toured with. It's they're just there they're around all the time and unfortunately most of the time they're not being recycled properly so it's just another way that the business is contributing to um mistreatment of the planet unfortunately mm -hmm. are you seeing uh on professional riders more attention to pay to sustainability I mean, I haven't been on the road for two years now. I can't say if there's been a change of heart, especially since the pandemic and people are being um, more aware of that. I do think there are younger artists who are taking a stand. You see people like Billie Eilish, who's implementing uh, water fountains at all of her live shows. And I'm sure there are tons of younger artists who are taking initiative to do that. But 
I also think that there are so many people involved in these things that there are a lot of people you do have to get on board and take accountability. You know, you kind of have to be a machine working all as one and all on the same page in order to be effective. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully electric buses will be replacing the uh, the diesel uh, touring bus. Um, I mean, certainly you, you're seeing electric buses in, I know there are different kinds of buses, but you're seeing electric buses in, um, in you know, municipal transit. Um, it seems like that's that shouldn't be too far along. Um, now, you mentioned some of the things that, you know, the travel obviously is really, you know, hard to avoid. And you mentioned Billie Eilish, and I know Coldplay is, is doing a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of great work. What, what can a young up and coming band or artist do who's, you know, not even in, in the bus situation there, they've got a van, they're going across the country, they're, they're um, having, you know, a tough time um, paying the bills, you know, what, what can a, what can a small scale band do to uh, reduce their carbon footprint? I think it's kind of just like how any person can be aware is just being accountable for your actions, even if it's as simple as trying to sit down at a restaurant for a bite to eat instead of going to the grocery store and buying packaged goods. It's just all of those little things. But I mean, ultimately, if you look at the science, every person on this planet could change their habits to be more eco-friendly. But the most important thing is to use your voice because there's a very small number of people on this planet who are causing the most impact. And ultimately, if we want to see change, it's going to take educating the masses about that and being a voice against it. Mm -hmm. And anyone can be that voice. One person's voice is so powerful and it may sound cheesy, but it's the truth. And taking responsibility, educating yourself and saying something about it, I think is the most important thing right now. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking of corporations and their involvement in the music industry, I mean, does, is sponsorship play a role in this? Like are, are, I'm sure some of these larger bands like Billie Eilish and Coldplay are, are saying, you know, no to sponsors that are um, carbon intensive, but you know, is, is that a good first starting point? Definitely. I think, um, the only way to stand up against those companies is boycotting them, unfortunately, and removing any use of products or support that may be from a company that doesn't align with those goals and that mentality. I think there are so many companies that exist, whether they're small or building and scaling up that uh, do have great values. And sometimes it's just a matter of looking to, uh, for new partners or new voices that um, can shine light on that. Mm -hmm. And um, somewhat unrelated to sustainability, but something I'm interested in, what do you, what's, what does the touring outlook like for, for bands in 2022? I mean, it's, we all have trouble looking in the crystal ball for the next 12 months, but what um what what how's how's the music industry in Canada going to come back from this? Based on what I've seen so far, it um it's looking good for 2022. I think a lot of people had high hopes for 2021, but it was a year of introspective learning and uh, patience. But 2022, from what I've seen so far, looks really good for touring. It looks like there's a lot of Canadian acts that are back on the road. Um, we're allowed to go out again. Venues are opening up again. Uh, the laws are changing. People are getting vaccinated. So it seems hopeful. But I think at the same time, 
it's about being careful and cautious and knowing that we're still fighting a pandemic and it's not going to be perfect, but I think that there's going to be a lot of joy that live music brings to people in 2022 and it's going to be a much more positive year. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope so too. I, and I, I think it will. Um, Michelle, this is great. Thanks so much for doing this. It's a wonderful organization. And if folks want to get involved with um, musicians fighting climate change, how would they do so? Yeah, um, we have an Instagram page. It's Musicians Fighting Climate Change. So you can message me directly on there. Um, there's also an email contact provided. So that would probably be the best way to get in touch. Um, you can also reach me through my email, which is um, my other company, 745 Music. Um, I can provide that very easily to whoever needs it. But I'm always interested in connecting with like minds and people who want to fight this battle with me. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thanks again and hope to speak to you soon. Thank you so much. That concludes this month's episode. For more information about Sustainably.eco, please visit Sustainably.eco or SustainableKingston.com. This episode and its music is written and produced by Jeff Hendry. That's me.